Alright, welcome to Rage Mechanics, Episode 1. The InfoSec podcast you never knew you wanted. I knew I wanted it. No, you didn't. Don't lie. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, yeah, welcome everybody. Welcome. Hi, how are you? Doing good. I'm going to pull up some uh, some show notes here that we wrote earlier. Okay, that sounds good to me. But, uh, yeah, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? You can go first, Massive. All right. You'll know me as Massive. I've been in uh, IT and information security for the past, uh, let's see, six years now. Uh, looking forward to doing this. Terrible introduction, but you'll learn to love me. That's very true. We've all learned to love him. In Some many of us ways. are still learning. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll go next. Uh, I am Endorphins, and I have been in IT for over 10 years now. And for the last, I would say, roughly four years, information security, and currently an information security architect. And right. I would currently not love Massive. <laughs> I guess I could I guess I could have added that, you know, that... that uh and I'm also in information security architecture, or, if, or I'm, I'm an architect role, I guess you could say. Oh. Sure. That's pretty specific. Yeah, I didn't know we were getting that specific. Oh, well. But it's okay. You can't. It doesn't matter. Okay. Be as specific as you want. I feel better now. I'm glad yeah. you feel better. Oh, and uh, I'm Fleabeard. Uh, I'm the old man of the bunch. I've been in IT, let's see, this year will be um, 25 years. But I've been in IT. I've done everything from cleaning printers to uh, information security, building big data centers, um, annoying the shit out of people constantly. I can vouch for that. Here, here. God, you 25 years. You are old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I am. <laughs> I usually, see, I can market it. It's easy for me. I started in IT the same year I got married, so it's kind of hard to forget either one. Yeah, don't 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 forget that. Kind of forces, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> so, uh, do we want to talk about kind of how we're gonna what what the show is gonna be about and how we're gonna lay things out and what the wonderful folks listening to us can expect? Sure, dude. Go ahead. Start us start us right off. Well, um, as we already said. It's going to be primarily an information security related podcast. Um, we're going to try and put it out an episode every other week. We'll uh, that that's our goal. We'll see how that works out. We'll try and get some in the can beforehand so we can have some backlog. Um, we'll try to do some guest spots and things like that with some interesting either infosec or technology people that we know, um, and you know maybe use some news things like that. We'll probably, we, we've thought about some other segments too, to kind of fill in the time between those two, uh, those two episodes, maybe some random, um, not necessarily IT or InfoSec related things, just general, general geekery and fandom. We, uh, I think between the three of us, we probably have a pretty, <laughs> a pretty diverse range of fandoms. Um, so a lot, a lot of crap we can cover there. And I think we're going to call those intermittent failures because they're going to be very intermittent. Such a great name. Such a great name. But also failures. 
<laughs> Most likely failures, yeah. <laughs> I think the big thing is that as as the show evolves, there could be additional elements that we add into the like the uh, the agendas and maybe even the release schedule um, that will yeah. start off with this 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 uh, normal re- release that we do on a biweekly or weekly basis, whatever we evolve into, and then we'll add the ad- additional segments. And we'll probably throw in some, uh, you know, if as critical things pop up in uh, information security news and things like that, we'll kind of record some some real quick updates. Uh, no particular schedule because <laughs> zero days don't happen on a schedule. So we'll call those uh, SEV1s. And if oh, you don't God, know what a SEV1 is, sorry, you'll figure it out. Um, You're probably think- listening to the wrong podcast. I think that's how antivirus companies are able to help support uh, consumers blocking zero day. I, I think if it's just not in their database, they call it a zero day and then block it. I meant more what a SEV1 is. Or a yeah. zero day. If you don't know what either one is... <laughs> You You're might be in the wrong, the wrong podcast. podcast. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you that you bring that up. I was speaking to someone uh, that that we work with, um, who was talking about a solution that they had used in their previous roles. That was <clears throat> where they would deploy um, agents across their network to various hosts and and endpoints. Um, and I said, okay, well, what was the main point of this solution? And he says, well, what it did was it helped to detect zero days. And I'm like, that's that seems like a uh, how do you detect a zero day exactly? And it kind of goes into what Endorphins was just saying, that it's if they can't identify it or tie it back to something, it's like, well, this must be new. Well, with an agent-based or uh, description-based, you can't detect zero days. You can detect zero days with heuristics exactly. and IPS. Yes, exactly. So do we have any specific topics that we wanted to jump into? Hmm, for today? I don't know. And I just realized I'm fidgeting with stuff in my hands and probably making nice clicking noises on the microphone. Click, 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 click. I'm <laughs> Flea Beard. Click, click. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I wanted to, to bring into this very first podcast of ours, um, the you know, the security podcast you didn't know that you wanted, was the idea of uh, something that's close to my heart, and I think endorphins will probably jump in on this too, is that the um, preparing high school students and, and, and entry-level college students, um, preparing them to be you know, the next generation of security experts. And something that we've seen through the, um, the things that we're doing in, 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 in an extracurricular way outside of work and outside of personal life with involving and training kids and, and, and helping kids out in schools out with their, uh, their curriculums and lesson plans for those kids. Something that we've found is that, uh, that there seems to be a lack of understanding of what it truly means to prepare to become a security expert. And knowing how to open command prompt and, and type in IP config doesn't necessarily make you a, uh, um, a, uh, a security practitioner or a security professional at all. Um, and I think that uh, something that's pretty important that we do is, is to enhance the curriculum with these, for these kids so that they are being prepared for more real-world scenarios. Um, and obviously that can be said for many subjects, but of course this is a security podcast, so we're going to be biased and focused on information security. Well, so I have somewhat of a differing opinion 
uh, that I've been forming over the last few weeks once I discovered the local school district is training their cybersecurity academy with A-plus and Net-plus material. Uh, originally, I was somewhat shocked and questioned why, but after thinking about it for quite a while, having that basis in IT makes you a better security practitioner. And it, it didn't resonate with me immediately after we left that meeting, but over the last week or so, I think, primarily is when I've been thinking about it the most. And I, I really think that X infrastructure or X support staff uh, make for a better information security practitioner. I mean, I, I'm 100% with you on that, man. I mean, I think um, there's a lot of people that come out of schools. Um, and of course, it's not any fault of their own. It's how the schools are marketed, thinking that they're going to be a badass security practitioner, uh, you know, with, with a couple of years of schooling or some boot camps or whatever. To really, really be a good security person, you have to have, I, I think, you have to have an infrastructure background of some part of, of some level. Um, like I said, I've, I've done everything except for, I don't write code. Um, I can muddle around in it and I'm not a SQL DBA, um, but pretty much everything else I've done, you know, and what that helps me do a lot is really, really understand what's going on across a system, whether it's on a server's server or networking or firewalls or application level, you know, I mean, I don't think you can be a, a truly stellar InfoSec guy without real background experience in infrastructure and, or in, in some other discipline. I won't even say infrastructure, in some other IT discipline. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think what I was trying to get at, and, and maybe it's just how I, how I say things, um, my thing was that the end goal, if I'm a student that's going into, that's in a cybersecurity program, or uh, my goal is to go into a cybersecurity degree program when I leave high school, um, my final exam or my final step when I'm in that advanced academy, because the things that these kids are doing is, is pretty advanced, but the requirement for those kids, congratulations, you passed the cybersecurity, you're, you're, you've passed the academy, you've passed these exams, um, go get your A+. Plus. That'll prove that you know what you know, what you're trying to say. And really what I guess what I'm trying to say is the, and maybe this is just just a differing opinion, that the A+, plus, I totally agree that it would be foundational and that it would definitely, um, I do agree that, that a well-seasoned professional makes the best security professional when it comes to IT, someone that has that broad range of experience. Um, but I think that when someone is, so if I'm a student in high school, I would view... Um, if I were graduating my final exam, something to be the something like you know taking a sec plus or getting the trifecta from CompTIA, the the secnet and A plus, um, and and maybe it's just that that maybe that is a advanced level certification or set of certifications to expect from a student, but I, I guess I'm seeing that as if I'm in a cybersecurity academy, for example, and and I'm doing advanced um, penetration techniques, and I'm and I'm I'm coming in, you know, first place in national competitions and everything, that I would be held to a different standard than someone who was just pursuing 
a standard IT certification or standard IT degree or program completion sure. certificate or something. Like that. That's what I'm trying to say, that yeah. maybe the end goal should be the bar set a little bit higher and say, okay, we recognize that you have this. We're only offering A+. plus. Really, it should be you've done such a great job. Here, make, you know, you need to get these three things and then possibly, which this this might be a stretch, maybe even going for CEH. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, it's we're talking about high school kids. Um, no, I, yeah, I they're agree. Limited to, they're limited to what's going to be offered to them. Yep. And uh, Florida can barely pay teachers. Ain't that the truth? As it is, much less pay teachers who have any kind of understanding of technology or cybersecurity. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and in, in talking back on the experience thing, there's nothing to say you can't get that experience while you're a cybersecurity professional. I mean, it, it... True. Like any other profession, you're going to get, I think, a degree or a certificate or anything like that just gives you the right to ask for a job. True. After that, <laughs> you're going to have to put in the blood, sweat, and tears and and learn and work crappy hours and do crap jobs and... To get to the point where you don't have to do the crappy hours and crap jobs. Yeah, you know, yep, and totally or, agree. or at least you're still doing the crappy hours and crappy jobs, but you're making more money. Yes, very true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I, I definitely like the uh, the idea of mentoring. Um, I think of all the of people that mentored me as I was coming up and mm-hmm. um, were very generous in their sharing of their knowledge and... People that weren't so generous in the sharing of their knowledge, you know, and the, the ones that I remember the most, the people that took the time to show me things and, and pull me along and didn't have that, you know, protective attitude where they thought it was job security to, to keep their to knowledge hold that information. Yep. Oh, that to, to me, that's one of the worst things you can do. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> when, you have, when you have a team that's mostly concerned with keeping their job Mm-hmm. Uh, only by keeping their knowledge, that's that's problematic, and that that kind of stuff I th- I feel needs to be squashed pretty quickly. Well, it's it's self deprecating anyway. I mean, if you don't share, share your knowledge with other people, nobody's going to share theirs with you, and you're really quickly going to become irrelevant. Yeah, and I, people I, will just think you're a jackass, and they won't like. <laughs> you. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. Um, it's. Uh, something that I that one of our it's, it's funny something that one of our new employees where I work today where we work um, he said you know the it kind of adds to what you're saying Fleabird where it talks about the the concept of being a mentor and how important that is to people and he says you know the people that I worked with coming up in my career they certainly didn't teach me everything that they know because that requires the experience and the dedication the blood sweat and tears sure but they did teach me everything that I know and that really stuck with me when he said that. I was like, "That that is something that was very well said." And I was like, "That's a very good way to put that." Very cool. Yeah. You said that was a new employee. It was indeed. Oh, fantastic! Um, Not that new employee. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually, I was actually kind of excited. I was like, "Wow, that's that's very deep and and mostly unexpected." <laughs> hey, I just had a, I just had another idea for a segment that we could do. Yeah, Shoot. what's that? Some I, I don't know. We'll come up with a name for it. 
but uh, like IT or infosec gripes. Oh, like you know. uh, Peter Griffin's. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know what really grinds my gears? Exactly. You know, just a uh, you know, yeah. horribly cable, horribly managed cables. It's or... like tech support gore. Yeah. Oh, I like, <laughs> yeah, hey, I like wait, that type that, of stuff. Is that, is that a title? Is that something that's that's regularly that said? Is, yeah, tech that's a that's a gore? it's a subreddit. And Whoa. some of those stories are, ooh. ooh. Wow. I recently, I'm very impressed with that. I recently found a YouTube channel. I think the guy, I think it's um, the Fiber Guru or something like that. This guy is, is making a YouTube channel that speaks to me. He goes into, uh, his whole thing is going into server rooms and wiring closets in smaller businesses and ripping everything out and redoing it. So it's like a DIYer show that just like speaks <laughs> to me. There was a uh, in in one of my previous roles, um, the networking, uh, the 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 entire stack, the server, everything. It, it was a small building. Um, it was actually a school, and uh, all the switches, all this, every, the server and everything was all in a closet in the library. Did not have AC that went into the room did not have any ventilation whatsoever. It was actually closed behind a fireproof door. And rather than install like a, you know, a, um, a, a, uh, an AC system, like a, one of the ones that you mount on the wall or something like that, or do something to do it, their solution, now remember this is the server, not only just for this school, but this is the server that was for several schools in the area that was used to host student data and application data and whatnot, and, um, and obviously the, the network infrastructure behind it. Um, their solution was to cut the door in half. So they literally <laughs> took a saw, cut the door in half, and it opened like a farm door to a barn. And you could see right in, and all you had to do was re- – and kids could do it. They did it all the time. They would reach over. They'd open the door, and they'd go in there, and I would find cables on the ground, things unplugged, and and, st- and the wires were all over the place. And uh, I – but – Fleabird, I think that that is a great idea to do this because oh, we we would have plenty of material. Oh, I've got, I I I have twenty five years worth of material. There are no rats in my network cabinet. Oh my gosh, there I remember no, that. Wait, wait, why are there? Wait, I did not clip these cables. I did not cut these. Why are these in pieces? Oh, there are rats in the closet. <laughs> there are rats in there. They, yes, there's a lot of them. There's a family. Okay, oh, wow. so I'm I'm sure that I have shared this story at least uh, at least with endorphins, but uh, I'm trying to think. This would have been in probably 1996, 97. Uh, uh, just 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 to let you know, um, if it was in 1996, I was in fifth grade. Well, and, and it gets can, even it can, gets can, even more continue. archaic. Hey, hey, endorphins! Just to let you know, if it was in 1996, I was in first grade. <laughs> You're still in first grade. <laughs> All right, are we, are we done with the old jokes? We are. Sorry. <laughs> no. no, you're not. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> they will never end, much like so, your age. <laughs> so, so anyway, I was doing some work at a, uh, this is a uh, lawyer's office, and his office was attached to his house. He had a, this massive house, but he had uh, office attached to his house, and it was all um, Macs, but the network was ThinNet which is all RG58 uh, coax. 
Okay, so it goes from each PC, daisy chained, little T connector on the back of the PC. And they kept having these weird network outages. So I go over there and start to troubleshoot. <clears throat> and one of the first things you do is you unplug each nick. Because if you got a bad nick, it'll totally bring the whole network down. So I reach behind one and unplug the T connector on the back of it. Nothing. Plug it back in. Go to the next one. Unplug it. And as soon as I unplug it, the UPS starts to beep. So I'm Wait. like, <laughs> okay, so how, why is the UPS beeping? I just unplugged the network and I look at it and it's got a ground error on it, on the UPS. I'm like, okay. So I plug it back in. I go to the next one down the line. And as soon as I touched the T connector, it had 110 volts on it. Like straight up wall power on the network. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, whoa. About pissed myself. <laughs> Todd, how'd it feel? Dro- dro- <laughs> yeah, dropped the cable. <laughs> and once I stopped shaking, I went back into the went back up to the office manager and was like, um, somewhere in your wall or in the ceiling, you got something shorting out to a network cable. I'm not coming back until there's an electrician here with me. So I left and came back when the electrician got there. And what it ended up being is they had run the coax and power right next to each other in the attic. And squirrels had gotten up there and chewed chewed both cables apart. So the the shielding, the, was, the shielding was sitting right on wow. power. Endorphins, you wonder why I hate squirrels? That's why I hate squirrels. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I I can understand the hatred of squirrels, but you have something else. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a hatred of squirrels? I, I, I think it's like maybe they murdered your whole family at some point. <laughs> I don't know, but that it's, it's – it's, yeah, see? <laughs> My alarms are going off just hearing that. <clears throat> so, yeah, that was, a, that was a rodent denial of service. Hmm. So I wanted and, to... And uh, an RDOS? An, yeah, oh, my gosh. RDOS, we, should, yeah. we should coin that term. I like that. that. That's going to be in the new AIOs for CISSP and such. Yeah. <laughs> An RDOS. Rodent denial service. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to... Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this... Um, this uh, Mac OS Mojave um, exploit that was just released... Uh, earlier this week with the regarding the keychain and it's it's interesting all oh, right yeah it, it's it's if if you're not for those of you that aren't aware it was um uh released by uh Linus Hens's Linus Hens um using a uh utility called Keysteel in in Mac Mojave um and what it did was it allowed the user who was running this uh, application to, with the click of a button, extract all of the passwords that were stored um, encrypted. They were extracted in plain text, and then obviously he had access to all of the quote yeah, unquote any, securely from any password. other user. So I'm logged into a Mac oh, yeah. and pull the everything out of the wallet and keychain from everything. any other user on that Mac. Exactly. It was uh, it was it was pretty interesting. Um, but as wait we, uh, wait guys. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that Macs are susceptible to being hacked? Uh, theoretically. Uh, <laughs> contrary to pop- popular belief, yes. 
My mind is blown. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, continue. No worries. <laughs> I think my question is, is like, I've gotten a mixed response on this, and it, which I was actually surprised to hear. Um, because most of us, you know, including the three of us, we have, you know, various certifications. Um, and most of them require you to agree to a, a certain a specific code of ethics that uh, aligns with that that certifying body's um, uh, mission and and whatnot. Um, but when I asked people that we work with and and people in the IT community, you know, as a security researcher, am I morally and ethically um, obligated to report vulnerabilities that I discover because this or or exploits that I develop or or um, that I use because if you look at this uh, this Mojave exploit, um, Linus when he created this this utility, um, he refuses to share it with Apple, and it's all based on the premise of Apple not um, expanding their bug bounty program to macOS. So I think there's a difference between reporting a vulnerability and sharing your exploit code. Well, can you can you elaborate? I think it's I think you are I would I would say that you're ethically bound to report to the vendor that there is a vulnerability and this is the theoretical exploit. But to say, and here's the code I exploited it with, mm-hmm. is a different story. Okay, I can see that. So if you develop something yourself, you don't necessarily want to give that hand that over to a company. But you're 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 more than willing to share how you exploited the vulnerability that you're reporting to them, just right. not necessarily you know, like hey, the application that you create that does it. it exactly. I can I can see that. Endorphin, what, what do you think? No, uh, I I know you and I had a, had this conversation earlier in the week, and my my opinion pretty much aligns with Fleabeard here. Um, I think it's your responsibility to disclose. Uh, I I don't think it's your responsibility to necessarily provide them with your personal application. Right. Uh, nor do I think that, uh, however, nor do I think that you should be holding something hostage based on your own beliefs. So if they don't want to expand their OS with the bug bounty program, that's that's their prerogative. Uh, but consumers need to know at that point that because of that, their services are going to be less secure. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, and there's that, you know, there is a... There's really almost a progression of how, you know, the the proper way to report a bug. You know, as a general rule, at least the way that I've always thought of the proper way to do it is you privately let the manufacturer know. So, you know, you figure out there's a exploit in whatever code or hardware. You disclose that directly to the vendor with, you know at least some documentation, proof of concept, something like that, and give them at least a certain amount of time to respond. Mm-hmm. If they don't respond, then <laughs> then you start maybe releasing public information, not necessarily a true exploit, but releasing information publicly that there is a vulnerability, maybe to kind of pressure a little bit. 
So, so I think that's a, a pretty valid point. One of the things that, uh, if people don't really want to manage their own bug bounty program, because it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. uh, you can sign up for programs like Hacker One or Bug Crowd, and they're able to work with you to provide a bug bounty platform that not only handles payments but submissions. Uh, and they'll work with your security teams to verify those bugs, uh, verify the vulnerabilities, and it'll it basically takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Um, but something else I wanted to mention and touch on what Fleabeard said uh, this week: we're we're slowly finding out that there is rampant cheating within the OSCP exam. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Um, there are people who have uh, signed up for that. There's some weird mentorship program, and it's essentially people letting other people cheat by providing the solutions and write-ups for the OSCP. Now, one user, and I have—I don't remember his um, his handle, but I can look that up later and post it somewhere. But he is now. Uh, calling attention to this situation, but also threatening to release, and actually he's already uh, released a few of them, um, solutions to the OSCP exam. And he continues to release until they respond or change the exam. I don't know how I feel about that. That's interesting. I, th- I think anytime you're holding somebody hostage, it is a you've crossed the line essentially an, an unethical situation. Yeah. And yeah, and I also think that regardless of if there's a bug bounty that you're you're as a professional, you're bound to report. You're bound to disclose. Exactly, and that's, of, that's kind of what I was of saying. Personal gain. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was saying. Is that that. If you're the one to discover something, especially if you're the very first person or individual to discover a, uh, a vulnerability or, or an exploit, um, that you are you are bound by your profession, by ethics, and by now obviously if if none of those things matter, then you then okay, then essentially it's the wild west. But um, this person, the Linus, for example, he's he's a, a pretty well known security researcher. Um, and I just thought it was interesting that he was actually just withholding that because uh, it was the refuse. He was Apple is refusing to pay out bug bounties on on Mac OS. But I, I, I do agree that you are bound as a security professional to report those. It was just I kind of wanted to get input on that to see how you guys feel because it's it's been such a uh, such a spectrum of, of responses that a broad spectrum of responses that I've gotten from people that I know that I work with and that I know mm-hmm. in the industry. Yeah, and I haven't really read any of the. Uh, any of that hoopla, but that's that's kind of my personal opinion. Yeah, he's duty bound to report the error and provide at least some kind of documentation on it. But to to turn over his actual exploit, yeah, not so much. So on that OSCP um, item, endorphins are, are are I would assume that that means that people that have been have specific individuals been. Um, like have they have they identified individual people who have taken the test? They know who cheated, or are they saying that they're aware that cheating has happened? So, uh, the write up is by 
someone named Cybersick. And, oh, it seems it's most of the write-ups have been removed. Uh, let me look at the cached version here. Um, go ahead and ask your, ask your question again because I, I forgot exactly what you were asking. No, yeah, I was asking to see if if um, if individuals who had taken the OSCP already had they been contacted by offensive security had have and has offensive security revoked their certifications or are they just saying we're aware of of cheating happening and we're investigating? No, they aren't necessarily even responding um, it, in a way you would think. Uh, they released a statement, and I'll, I'll go ahead and share this with you guys. Um, so they, what they did was they actually responded to uh, this, this person's threats, uh, and they seem to have removed all the leaked solutions for the machines within the exam, and I don't necessarily see that they're going to do anything about the cheaters that he knew of. But he seems to have also removed most of his posts in regards to this. So he must have worked with them and been satisfied with the outcome of whatever he was threatening. So, OSCP, is, is that a uh, remote proctor or you have to go in for it? You have to go to a testing location. It is now proctored remotely. It was never proctored at all before. So, oh wow! Okay. Not, so it was always just at your computer, never proctored. Twenty-four hours to complete X amount of tasks and capture X flags. Well, okay. See that 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 seems to me to be asking for people to cheat. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can I can see it. I can see why that kind of leaves the door open for, you know, get, giving somebody the opportunity. I, I would agree that it does pretty much ask people to cheat, but I would also say that it kind of goes back to ethics and, 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 and morals as a security practitioner that you would hope that there would be some level of integrity with people, but obviously there isn't with, with everybody that takes an exam or, or goes for something like that. Um, but I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah, I am kind of surprised they didn't have anything beyond because if actually if you look at what uh um, offensive security does a lot of it is just we monitor cheating groups and we update the exams and we like it's it's interesting that they didn't actually have any addition like enhanced monitoring capabilities within the actual test platform well one of the things i think you have to look at in this regard is uh, what would you consider cheating on an exam like this, right? So traditional exams, if you were to go into the CCNA and you were to take that, but you had you know, a browser and Google, that would be considered cheating. However, in an exam like this, I feel that you're almost expected to use Google to help you solve your problems here. You're not going to know everything right off the bat or remember every single command that's required to, to capture these flags, especially point. if you're running into a situation you've never seen before. I think uh, Google Foo, you know, is a pretty a yeah. pretty big pretty big skill set to have these days. So, so in that I, case, your cheating would be something like getting someone else to do it for you. 
someone else to do it for you or having the uh, solutions posted already and, right, and, just, right. and just copying them and, and performing performing the exploits on the vulnerable systems within within the test. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. And that, that's my lack of familiarity with that uh, that test. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say same here. It is interesting, though. I'm, I'm, I'm reading through what they've done and in, in what they've actually done so far and, and what they're how they're addressing this. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, so for instance, like right now, um, there's, there's pauses in between what we say and some of the stuff doesn't necessarily need to stay. Um, yeah. We may want to cut out some of the jokes. We may want to... Yeah, it just depends. So I think we, what we need to do is um, there, there are also longer pauses than we need to have, right? So that, that even... 10 times cutting down two seconds you're already cutting 20 seconds off of the presentation or the, yeah. or the, the podcast so I think we, we kind of just go until we, we we feel like we've covered everything we need to I think so far the conversation has been going really well um, and I mean if you want to end it now we can oh no no I wouldn't say anything now I was just kind of giving it a time mark oh no no I know I, I just meant uh Massive asked for if we want to go for forty five. I, I thought he wanted to end at forty five. No, no, I, I saw the thirty five minutes and I was like, "Are you saying you want to end it?" But I, oh. I see what you're saying. You were just adding a time mark. All good. Yeah, yeah, I got what you're saying too. Okay. <laughs> but so yeah, you guys uh, are using the uh, you guys are using the mute in the application, not the mute button on your mic. Correct. I yeah. was just because it was easier. Well, all right. Thank God yeah. for editing, right? Yeah, for real. <laughs> or uh, that's how maybe that's how we start the first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God this isn't a smell cast. Oh my gosh, that was great. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Did you happen to see that uh, that post? Um, maybe not. It's actually been going around LinkedIn pretty, pretty heavily. Um, it was a conversation between a CFO and a CEO. And the CFO says to the CEO, what happens if we train our employees and then they leave? And the CEO's response is, what happens if we don't train them and they stay? Uh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, I, like I, th I think we have some very prime examples of that in our org. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's their own damn fault. Very true. Oh, no, yeah, very. No, I absolutely uh, agree. training I available. There is a ton of training available. In fact, I'm working on getting us more training so mm -hmm. that we can have some uh, over spring break. I think it's going to be great. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, I found, so I found the uh, the YouTube channel I was talking about, Fiber Ninja. Fiber Ninja. I'll put a I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, dude just goes in and fixes cable disasters. He's a man after my own heart. Does he does he do like before and after so that you can? Oh, he it's a whole he he records the whole process. Wow. Does he speed it up or do you have to watch it? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's a not seventy a, it's hour not video. One, yeah, right. It's one YouTube video. Seventy that starts hours on, later. Starts on a Friday can you hurry afternoon. Up? I'm running out of yeah. time cards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting going back to that training thing. Uh, how a lot of people they they sit and wait for things to come to them when it comes to training and it, they do when they, when it, you know, when it comes to like waiting for a project or something to come to them as well. But with training, 
um, a lot of people in IT and in security, really in technology in general, that uh, that don't necessarily constantly seek to improve themselves or, or improve their skill sets, um, and they basically get to a point where they're like, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm 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 tenured. I'm good. I'm just going to stay here and 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 do my thing." So that that brings up another point with this training thing. I suppose Massive and I used to work at a place where you couldn't even get reimbursement for certifications, which mm-hmm. was really hard, especially if you spent your own dime, right, uh, and your own time trying to support the organization better. There, there, there was no formal training. Nobody wanted to bring any training in informally. We tried it once with one of the management staff, but... I think all he did was talk about how good he was at doing things <laughs> and to learn from him. Well, and in addition to that, he also came to multiple locations and explained why investing in people is not really important and then justified it by saying, you're getting paid enough in this industry. Well, so here's, uh, I'll go back to like our first discussion about what makes a good InfoSec person. Beyond education experience knowledge i think the number one thing that makes a good infosec person is curiosity curiosity to you know learn something new figure out how things work figure out how to break things mm-hmm. figure out how to fix things you yeah. know and and those people that are that have been in in the technology field forever or not even forever but just have gotten that attitude of I'm good. I know my stuff. That's yeah. the, you know, they're never going to be a good security practitioner. You've got to have a, a, a level of Longer. curiosity. That's, that's probably abnormal <laughs> level of curiosity. <laughs> you know, I was, I was always the kid that, you know, would get new toys and play with them for a while and then take them apart to see why they worked. <laughs> That and, is yeah. blasphemy. Don't you dare tell me you opened you the toys the and took them apart. Who are you? Get, I'm re- I am removing <laughs> your geek and nerd credentials the, as uh, we speak. I think I think what's going to be on my tombstone is I voided warranties. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that mean uh, we're going to have to dig you up? <laughs> like, you like to open packages. Maybe we should open yours. By all means, if you guys want to disassemble me and see what made me work, go right ahead. You're gonna find you're gonna find a bunch of Fritos and beer, and that's gonna be about it. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing to be sustained with. <laughs> Perhaps not the healthiest, but definitely yummy. Yeah, to add to that training, it's interesting, you know, to go into a specific topic, specific, uh, a specific instance that I know that the three of us have seen is the the adoption and 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 embracement of the scary word that starts with a C, cloud. People love and want to say, oh, you know, the cloud solves all of our issues. We need to go to the cloud. We need to go to the cloud, and people know that it's coming. Um, where you know those those statements aren't, inc- you know totally accurate and that it doesn't solve all problems um but knowing that something's coming like if you know that your your organization is is moving 
to the cloud or they're wanting to, you you should take that upon yourself to research and improve your skill set and knowledge with, um, it doesn't even have to even be specific cloud technology. It can be a general, um, a very high level, well, not, I don't want to say high level, but uh, a non-specific um, certification or something like CCSP or something that gives you a little bit more um, validity when you're speaking to cloud technologies and, and capabilities. No, um, and, and to expand on that even further, you don't even have to do it in your personal time when your organization offers you multiple training sessions and you turn down every single one of them. And they are, and they say, feel free to study during the day. They absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I don't know that. See, the, talking about cloud not catching on or people resisting it, I can remember people that used to say Windows servers will never catch on. Wow, that's almost as bad as the people that said TV and you know this confounded internet will go away one day. Yes, and Groupwise will always be the mail service we use. <laughs> now, I will say that it is still a superior. Groupware system. Well, maybe not still because I haven't played with it in <laughs> 10 years or so. But <laughs> it was a vastly superior system, but, you know, yeah, it died. Yeah, it, you know, and when you, when you recalled uh, a piece of mail, it actually came out of the other user's mailbox and didn't wait for them to double-click on it, read it, and then take it out. Yeah. yeah imagine that. Oh, wow, I just looked it up. Groupwise is now a part of the MicroFocus Open mm-hmm. Workgroup Suite. Hmm, so it is still alive. Interesting, I've never used that before. I am I so getting a trial of this yeah. and Look, loading it up on a box here. So for some reason, oh, I, I guess I'll give a little background. I did mention that I've been in IT for about 10 years, but that wouldn't necessarily provide me access to something like Groupwise. However, considering... My first job, I was hired by Fleabeard. Uh, he can probably attest to the age of the systems when I first started with him. All those years ago. Hey, we're, everything was up to date. What are you talking about age? We were still running NetWare, and we were running GroupWise, but they were current versions. Of course. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. They were patched up to date. They were very did, much up to date. Now, well, I'm not saying it wasn't an outdated system, <laughs> but they were they were current releases. So they were, they were still patching. It's just oh, yeah. not. They weren't enhancing hmm. to an extent. We were on Group by six point five, which was only probably about a year old at the time. And yeah. what was our directory structure? Novell directory services. E-directory. And what did we migrate to? Uh, this the, It's a bad knockoff called Active Directory. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, there's a there's a story there with that with that statement. <laughs> Just like everything else Microsoft produces, or did produce, you know. So, okay, so I'm, I'm looking at this, this cast page, right? And I see that Fleabeard has 90-plus millisecond ping. Oh, it's going higher. Um, Massive has 49, 50, and under. What is mine at? 41. 
<laughs> see, I see it ninety nine, but I think it oh, three hundred two now. Oh, that, it 100. might be. That's very interesting. It might be just the connection between us. Hmm. You know, considering I'm on fiber. <laughs> Listen, my docs setup here is great. It's supposed to be uh, a gag. Massive, <laughs> massive, we should switch names because massive is the size of my internet pipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm on DSL. 18 megabits per second? Yeah, baby. Ooh. What's tap? So, it's AT&T U-verse, which is, yeah, DSL. 18 down, 2 up. Interesting. Yo, yeah. two two up. Look, if you were in like two thousand one, that would be a fantastic connection. Yeah, and I also don't have to deal with neighbors. Yes, you do. Well, I do with their relatives. You know, well, I got a whole Ruby Ridge thing going on. And, well, and don't forget, sometimes they call the cops. Uh, yeah, the neighbors in the in the yeah, <laughs> true. Did you guys happen to see? Sorry, changing the subject. Did you guys happen to see the uh, the containerization vulnerability, the container escape vulnerability that I shared out? There is a CVE that was released. It's uh, 2019 um, And I'm still... I've, I've actually kind of been looking at this throughout the day, trying to see if there's updates on the level of impact with various organizations that, and solutions that are out there. Why don't we do... Uh, why don't we break into some roundtable? Yeah, um, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go eat in a second. So yes, please. Ma- massive. What you got for us? Anything? Uh, you, anything last minute you want to throw out? Uh, no, I think I've I've been trying to throw things out. Um, I was kind of using the whole time as a roundtable. I don't have anything. Alrighty. Endorphin. What do you got, man? Uh, anything? Do our roundtable items have to be security related? No. Uh-huh. Oh, fantastic. Then I do have some stuff. So, there is a new game out called Outward, and I will link it to you. Outward. Outward, yes. And if you look into this, this game is very much, very much like a true digital version of Dungeons & Dragons. Ooh. Yes, to the point where you... You don't really start out as a, as an adventurer or a person with here you know powers or anything along those lines. You are a regular kind of stable boy or whatever you, whatever your character is meant to be at the beginning, and you slowly go on a quest and you have to uh, pick the right things to do and. You know, if you die, you got to go get your pack. And if you go to sleep, you have to say how many hours you're spending sleeping versus how many hours you're spending guarding. And I'm looking at it on Steam right now. Yes. That comes out right around my birthday. I think this might have to be a present for myself. This is like a mix between uh, Elder Scrolls and... Um, I would say sort of. Yeah. It's like Elder Scrolls Rust. Have you seen Rust? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's almost like that because there, it, you're not necessarily strong from the beginning, which really you're not, and you have a lot of decisions to make. It's an open world RPG. 
Um, you can a wound can get infected. I mean, this really this really feels like the game is being controlled by a DM, <laughs> and you are just a, a you know a level five, right? You're you're, you're nothing crazy. Uh, you can get to the point, it seems, that you'll be very powerful, but, um, for instance, you need to trade stamina. Like, if you you don't immediately have magic, right? And if you want to become some form of wizard or sorcerer or warlock or anything along those lines, you have to go somewhere, like a ley line, right? Somewhere where magic is very strong, and you can convert your life force and stamina hmm. into magic and the ability to use it right because magicians sorcerers traditionally are weaker right physically they they don't have the strength to use you know a a two-handed axe or you know even even a regular sword for the most part right so you know you you have things that 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 hey look you know i've I've got a real problem here i'm going to stop you because the continued characterization of Wizards being physically inept <laughs> has seen its time. We need to come into a modern world where wizards can swing a sword just as well as anybody else can. Yeah, of course, if they train properly or place their stats. However, <laughs> how you get in a good Eldritch Blast with your strength all the way up and no charisma modifier? Don't give me that. Well, charisma is always a dumb stat. <laughs> So yeah, just something that we could uh, look into playing cool. together. It's it's fully co-op, so I think it would be great. I know uh, a friend of mine, Druza, is very interested in playing this game. So is he going to uh, burn things? Like, gosh, he's going to burn everything. Fireball, it, fireball. He's going to be like his. He's going to have one HP, one stamina, and fifty million mana. That's it. <laughs> fifty million. Just, just a total glass cannon. It, it, it's just going to be terrible, <laughs> but but also probably amazing. So that's my roundtable item. Outward. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go look at it. It's pretty sweet. Very cool. I'm still uh, waiting for. Um, there's a. I think it came out. Of, in November, there was a Call of Cthulhu game that came out that looks really, really good, but it only was like it didn't wasn't out for very long, and it's still like sixty or seventy bucks. But it looks cool, so I'm gonna grab it. I'm a big, big Call of Cthulhu fan, so you know, I, I I'm I'm always uh, curious as to why some games retain their value versus others. Especially nowadays when digital distribution is here mm-hmm. and trade-ins aren't necessarily a thing anymore, right? right? So I, I can't tell you the last time I went to a GameStop, but uh, <laughs> poor GameStop. <laughs> um, but to that point, I mean, prices of games after you know a couple months after their after their launch should be dropping because you're likely not shipping discs out anymore. You're yeah. likely just providing downloads and bandwidth. All right. Well, I think we should probably wrap things up. Yep. Well, I have one more thing. Okay, go. Cool. So if you guys have not read Tribe of Hackers, I would begin to read that. They're giving it away free on PDF, so you don't Ooh, actually okay. have to buy it, but I did buy the paper copy. Uh, it's written by Marcus J. Carey and Jennifer Jinn. Uh, two pretty well-known security people 
and it is quite a number of pages. Uh, they go through 70 security professionals and ask them all the same 14 questions. And so far, it's pretty darn good. I, th- I think you guys would like it. Yeah, cool. Send me a link to it, and I will throw it in the show notes, uh, along with everything else. I've got it right but Yeah, here. so, you know, I think we'll, uh, as we go here, we'll kind of tighten the show up a little bit, and we'll get a better idea of some things we want to focus on. If anybody has any ideas for us, definitely send them to us. What's that uh, email address, Endorphins? That would be ragemechanics at protonmail.com. Excellent. So, yeah, we're going to be setting up some other social media accounts and things like that. So keep an eye out for us. Thanks for stopping by and enjoying the Rage Mechanics podcast. Thank you very much. 